This morning, if you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to be looking at two passages, one found in the book of Luke, chapter 2, and the other found in the book of Philippians. And so I'll give you time to find both of those, the book of Luke, chapter 2, and Philippians, chapter 2. While you're turning that passage, let me again say, we've already said it before, we'll say it many times this month, about the Lighty Moon Christmas offering. If you're not familiar with it, uh, we've been explaining it, but let me explain it one more time. Uh, this is an offering beyond your tithe that we take in order to give to our missionaries. 100% of the money you give to the Lighty Moon Christmas offering will go to our missionaries. So if you give a dollar, one dollar will go on the field. There's no administrative cost. Here's why we love the Lighty Moon Christmas offering. This is the perfect gift for Jesus for his birthday. You know, Christmas is Christ's birthday. This is what we celebrate. So what are you going to give to Jesus? And through the years, I've said the best gift you can give to Jesus is to give money to the missionaries so they can tell the gospel story to lost people around the world. And so we want to encourage you. In fact, we want to encourage every family to give something. Now, we have a lot of ministries that go on uh, during Christmas time, a lot of mission projects, and we ask people to you know, pick and choose which mission project you would like to participate. But the Light of Moon Christmas offering, we really would like every family to participate. And this also is a great teaching tool if you are for parents and grandparents to teach your children why we celebrate. And so maybe, you know, write a check or, or just write a card that, you know, the money you're going to give and, and wrap it up and put it on the Christmas tree to tell your children this is for Jesus. It's his birthday to continue to remind everyone why we celebrate. And so please be in prayer uh, for what you, give, what you will give beyond your tithe. And again, remember, 100% of that uh, will go to the mission field. We, nothing stays here. It goes all uh, to our missionaries. The book of Luke chapter 2, and then we're going to read a passage from Philippians chapter 2. And this sermon's a little different because we're looking at uh, passages of Scripture, and we're going to look at a hymn, a, a carol. But let's look at it from the book of Luke first. Luke, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the field and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news, or great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which they had been told them about the child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. Now look at the passage in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 3. As Paul is telling us how we are to live, to live in an unselfish manner, he relates it to Christ. He says in verse 3 of chapter 2, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. 
Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Pray with me. Father, today as we look at these passages and fathers, we examine this hymn, help us to understand the meaning of Christmas. Because, Father, it is so easy to get swept away with culture. that Sometimes, Father, we forget why we celebrate. And so, Father, we want to put before us constant reminders of the meaning of Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, sometimes we can sing a song without realizing what we're singing. We can sing a song without understanding the meaning of the song. For example, Yankee Doodle. We learned that as children. I don't know if they still learn that in school. I mean, we learned that growing up, and we would sing it. You know, Yankee Doodle went to town riding on a pony, stuck a feather in his cap, and called it macaroni. Yankee Doodle, keep it up. Yankee Doodle, dandy. What does that mean? Why are we singing it in school? I asked a teacher that once, and she told me to shut up and keep singing. (laughs) And Mark, that was my introduction to choir. Uh, Mark doesn't do that. No, he doesn't. I mean, what does it mean? This this idea, we're singing a song, you stick a feather in your hat and make it macaroni. What is going on? Well, let me tell you some trivia about Yankee Doodle, the song. It was written by a British Army surgeon named Dr. Richard Chuck Bow, around 1755. Now, he wrote it to make fun of those who live in the colonies. This was an insult to Americans. And it was initially was sung by the British troops during the Revolutionary War, making fun of the colonies, especially in the army. So what is this song about? Well, the term Yankee was a popular term at that time for anyone living in the colonies, not just soldiers. The word doodle at that time was a word meaning fool. You're a fool, an idiot. So what he was doing, he was calling the colonists fools, especially the soldiers. This was an insult. Why were they fools? Well, he tells us. He calls them dandies. Now, in that time period, the word dandy was a a word associated with men who really focused on their physical appearance, refined language, and leisure hobbies. These were the men of high society. They really cared about the exterior. And so they were making fun of the Americans because they said, you will never be like us, the British culture. You are fools thinking that you can be like us. You're trying to be something you're not. That's a Yankee doodle dandy. Then they said, the feather in your cap and call it macaroni. Now, for some reason... American soldiers actually wore feathers in the cap. In fact, the first service, someone told me one of the reasons, I can't wait to look it up to see if it's true, it's a great story. 
But a lot of people didn't know why, and the British didn't know why they would wear feathers in their cap. And so they were mocking them for this reason. And during that, they said, stick a feather in your cap and call it macaroni. What does that mean? Well, that time is true. Macaroni was a new exotic food and very popular in England. But that's not what it's talking about. In London, there's a group of British noblemen. They formed a private club called the Macaroni Club. And these were high society men. They dressed in fashionable clothing. They had high headwear. And so what the song is saying, the Redcoats were saying, these Americans, they're so foolish, they stick a feather in their cap and they think they could belong to the Macaroni Club. This was an insult to Americans. Put a feather in your cap and they think they're high society. But something happened in 1775. The Battle of Lexington, the Battle of Concord, the Americans won. And all of a sudden, as the British soldiers were leaving, the Americans started singing the song. They used it. In other words, they're saying, you think we're fools and uncultured? We just beat the biggest, best army in the world. And America embraced the song. So Yankee Doodle was written by a British man for the purpose to mock America. And the Americans took it and said, we'll take it. And they used it as a battle cry during the Revolutionary War. Who knew? You see, we can sing songs and understand and not understand nothing about it because words change, history change. That happens a lot of times as we sing songs in church, especially at Christmas time. And so what we're doing in this series, we're looking at some of the carols, examining the carols and asking ourselves, what do, what do these songs really mean? And so today we're going to be looking at Hark the Herald Angels Sing. A lot of people will sing that song and really not understand the meaning of the song. Now, let me give you a little background to, this, to the song. It was written by Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley was the brother of John Wesley, the famous preacher, the founder of the Methodists. Charles was a Methodist leader, but also a hymn writer. He wrote over 6,000 hymns. In fact, he wrote more hymns than any other male writer. Now, his goal in writing hymns, he, he lets people know. He writes hymns for the purpose to teach the poor and the illiterate doctrine. That was Charles' desire. Whenever he wrote a hymn, he was trying to teach doctrine, trying to teach theology. His brother, John Wesley, once said that Charles' hymnals were the best theological books in existence. And so in this time period, if you wanted to learn theology, if you wanted to learn doctrine, you would go to the hymn book. You would look at the hymns because they taught doctrine. So how did he write this song? A year after his conversion, Charles was going to church at Christmas Day, on Christmas Day, and he heard the bells of London. And this song, this, this poem came to his mind. And he wrote this poem on Christmas Day as he was going to church. His goal was for this to be read every Christmas. Later in, in 1753, a man named George Whitfield, who was a student, a friend of Charles, but also became one of the greatest evangelists of all time, he adapted the poem into what we know today. By the 1850s, the words of the hymn was paired with music and printed in a collection of hymns. 
And for the last hundreds of years, we've been singing this song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, boldly declaring the birth of Jesus and signifying him coming to the world. Now, a little trivia. Charles' poem, originally, that was not the original title. That was not originally the first line of the poem. This was the original line. Hark how the welkin rings. It sounded like something out of Lord of the Rings. You see, the word welkin meant heaven. And so he was talking about, listen to heaven sing, as heaven announced. George Whitfield was the one who changed it to Hark the Herald Sing in 1754. So what does this song mean? What does it mean to, as we sing the song? Because remember, his goal is what? Doctrine. So let's look at some of the words. It begins with the word hark. Now, hark is an old English word that means listen. Uh, old poets would say this. Shakespeare said this a lot. Today, we don't say hark. Uh, dare, I, you know, probably you haven't heard somebody, hark, was that a siren? You know, and if you do, stay away from those people. <laughs> hark meant to listen up. What I'm about to say is very important. So he says, hark, who are we listening to? The heralds. Who are the heralds? The angels. Hark the herald angel. He, he's telling us who they are. The Bible mentions angels more than 300 times, and they're important to God's ministry. God uses them. Now, please understand, when, when we're talking about angels, we're not talking about these chubby little cherubs going around with no clothes with a tiny bow and arrow, okay? That's not angels. The Bible describes angels as spiritual beings created by God. They had various kinds and they had various ranks. In fact, the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 11, says there's a throng of angels, thousands upon thousands, 10,000 upon 10,000. The Bible says they're, they're invisible, but yet they can appear to us. Sometimes they can appear like a man. The Bible says they are created beings. We know that. The Bible says they have superior intelligence, but we also know they're not all-knowing. The word angel literally means messenger. God uses the angels many times to bring a message to us. So here's what Charles is saying. You need to listen up. These angels, these messengers from God have a message from God. Now, what is he talking about? Charles was thinking of Luke chapter 2. He's thinking about Luke chapter 2, verse 13, which says the angels appeared to the shepherds and told them to go to Bethlehem. The angels that night, there was a multitude of angels proclaiming this message about Jesus. And so Charles is saying, listen very carefully to the message. And the next phrase, he says, glory to the newborn king. What he's saying is, listen up to these divine messengers of God, these angels. They're bringing a message from God. They are announcing the birth of the king, the king of kings. Again, he's going back to Luke chapter 2, verse 14. That's what the host of angels were singing. They were announcing this good news. They were announcing the greatest news imaginable. Glory to the newborn king. What's happening in Bethlehem is the game changer. What's going to take place in Bethlehem will change everything. Then Charles says, peace on earth and mercy mild. Now, what is he talking about? He's celebrating the message. The message is that these king heralds are bringing to us, there is peace coming. In other words, the message is not a message of war. It's a message of peace. They're not announcing condemnation and judgment. They're announcing mercy. They're not bringing a, a doomsday message. 
They're bringing good news. Listen to the message. Now, what's interesting at this time period in Luke chapter 2, Caesar Augustus wanted to be hailed as a god. Caesar Augustus was the one who established world peace, and people pointed to him, world peace, but he really didn't establish world peace. But this child is going to bring world peace. How? Charles tells us. The next phrase, God and sinners reconciled. That's how you get peace. We can come before God Almighty. We can come before a holy God as sinners. This child is going to bring us together to bring peace. The birth of this king will bring the possibility of peace. Now, again, peace is not the absence of war. Peace is more than that. Peace is shalom, wholeness, the absence of chaos. This child is going to do it. And then Charles says, in case you haven't figured it out, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Christ, that's the Greek word for the Messiah. The Son of God has come. He's in Bethlehem. This song is about Jesus coming here. But the song has a little more meaning to that. Because this is a song about God becoming man. And to do that... God must become mild. And so Charles writes that phrase, mild he laid his glory by. What's he talking about? He's taking the passage in Philippians chapter 2. Listen to what Paul writes, chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, talking about God. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the cross. Charles says, Christ is coming here, and he's coming as a man. He's taking what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2. We call this the incarnation, when God became man. Paul says in in verse 7 that Christ unselfishly emptied himself as a man. What did he empty? Did he empty his divinity? Oh, no. No. He, He emptied his glory, his power, his majesty in order to become a bondservant. This was a voluntary act on his own. This is amazing. I mean, would you give up everything for someone? Would you give up your house, your money, your car, your status for someone? Maybe come up with one or two people, but would you do it for everyone? I doubt it. But that's what Christ did. Christ gave up everything for us. He emptied himself. He became man with the pains and the problems of this earth. You see, the the truth of the incarnation tells us so much about Christ, tells us so much about Jesus. There are people out there that will say, well, Jesus was totally human, but he wasn't totally divine. That's wrong. And there are others who will say, well, he was totally divine, but he wasn't totally human. That's wrong. The Bible teaches the truth. He was totally divine and totally human. I mean, that's what John was talking about in John chapter 1, verse 14, when he said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I love what R.G. Lee, uh, former pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, said about this. Talking about Jesus, he said, he was as much God as God is God, and as much man as man is man. I love that phrase. God became man. I mean, think about it. The, the God who is so powerful 
that at his spoken word, all that exists came into existence. The universe with its multitude of galaxies, with its millions and millions and millions of stars that we cannot even comprehend that number. God created with a single word. And yet, he emptied himself to come here. The God who is so majestic in wisdom and power and holiness that no one can look at him face to face and survive. He emptied himself to come here. The God who is unlimited in space and time, whom a thousand days is a thousand years is but a day. The God where there is no place in the universe outside of his presence, and yet he emptied himself to come here. It's an amazing story. And by emptying himself, Christ identifies with us and he reveals himself to us. First of all, he, he identifies with, him, with us because when Christ came, he came as a man. He understands hunger because remember, he spent 40 days in the wilderness. He understands thirst because he was thirsty on the cross. He understands rejection because the people turned their backs on him. He understands being tired. Remember weariness when he was sat at the well in Samaria? He understands pain because they drove nails into his hands. He identifies with us. We have a God when we pray to, not only does he understand us as God, but he identifies with us as a man. But Christ also reveals himself to us. And don't miss this. The revelation this, the, of the incarnation because of this uh, abyss that we have between us and God called sin. God had a plan from the very beginning of time to get rid of that abyss. And that it was for him to come here. That's what Paul says in verse 8. He says, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Christ came here. The incarnation was because of the cross. You take away the cross, we don't have anything here, okay? You take away the cross, we don't have a message here. Jesus came to the cross. I mean, the cross is an illustration. It reminds us that sin is ugly. It reminds us that sin kills and destroys. The crucifixion reminds us that sin brings death and pain. The cross also brings, reminds us of a revelation, it shows us the revelation of the love of God. It reveals the depths of God's love for us. Calvary was not just a result of man's perversion, but it was God's plan. Jesus came because he loves us. We didn't deserve it and we didn't earn it, but he loved us enough. That cross is a revelation. That cross is understood as a substitution. We should have been on the cross. We deserve the punishment that Christ took upon himself. And the cross reminds us that Jesus took our place. It reminds us that his death was vicarious death. He voluntarily took our place. That cross is also understood as an invitation. The cross is central to the Christian message. Again, you take away the cross from the Christianity, there is no Christianity. It's an invitation to come to the cross. Famous evangelist from another generation said, I'm not afraid of the cross. I know that men used to come there to die, but since he died, they come here to live. Without the incarnation, 
the cross makes no sense. You cannot have the cross without the incarnation. It makes no sense. Listen to the words of John Piper. John Piper talking about the incarnation. He said, the incarnation is the preparation of nerve endings for the nails that will be hammered into his hands and feet. The incarnation is the preparation of a brow for thorns to press through. The incarnation is needed to have a broad back so there was a place for the whip. He needed to have feet so there was a place for the spikes. He needed to have a side that was there for a place for the sword to go in. He needed cheeks, fleshly cheeks, so that Judas would have a place to kiss and there would be a place for the spit to run down as the soldiers put on him. He needed a brain and a spinal column with no vinegar at all so that the pain could be fully felt. You see, if you take away the incarnation, Jesus didn't experience anything. But because of the incarnation, he experienced it all for us. Jesus emptied himself and became man in order to die on that cross. Do you realize that Jesus came to a wooden cradle for the purpose to go to a wooden cross? You see, we celebrate Christmas as we look to the Easter. You take away the cross, Christmas has no meaning. That's what Charles Wesley continues to say in his hymn. He says, born that man may no more die, born to raise the son of earth, born to give them second birth. The birth of Christ created the opportunity for eternal life because Jesus came to die. Christmas has no meaning if Easter never happened. It doesn't. It's amazing and glorious that God became man, that God lived a perfect life related to humanity in the flesh, not sinning, going to that cross. That's why we celebrate Christmas because of the Incarnation. Now, the birth of Jesus doesn't change the fact that we all live for eternity. It just changed where we'll live for eternity. And this song is about the incarnation. The next time you read it, the next time you sing it, you're going to notice the words as he's pointing to the fact that Jesus came here for a reason and a purpose. Jesus emptied himself that he had the mind of obedience knowing full well why he's coming to die for you and me. One of the most famous czars of Russian history was Peter the Great. He was born in 1672. He died in 1725. He, he was the founder, really, of modern Russia. When he came into power, Russia was known as a backward, isolated country. They wanted it that way. I mean, his father didn't want any outsiders to come in. Not only that, his father and other czars before him, they wanted to be treated like demigods. They, they em, embraced this idea that we're more than other people, this idea of semi-divinity. Uh, but Peter was not like that. Peter wanted to be out among the people. And so Peter would go out to learn all he could. Peter had this inquiring mind. Uh, He really wanted to talk to the foreign merchants that would come and wanted to know what was happening in the West. He wanted to modernize Russia. He wanted to modernize the economy. And so on one occasion, he sent a great embassy of more than 250 Russian young men from the noblest families to Europe to learn what they could about shipbuilding, uh, about science, about technology, because he wanted them to come back to teach Russia. They would modernize Russia. 
The most amazing thing about this great embassy, Peter the Great went with them. But he traveled incognito. This was the leader of a nation. But Peter wanted to see how people live, and he wanted it to identify with the people. Well, in some small way, that's what Jesus did. He traveled from heaven to earth incognito. He was born in a manger in Bethlehem. He grew up at a carpenter's shop in Nazareth. And many people didn't know who he was. They didn't know he was God. They didn't know this Christ, this Jesus was the Messiah. But he came to identify with us. But also to reveal to us God. And that's why he died on a cross. This Christmas carol is about the incarnation and how it relates to us. This morning, maybe God has revealed himself to you. Maybe this morning you realize that Jesus did come and die for you. Maybe this morning for the very first time you realize, oh my goodness, God became man to die on a cross so that I can have eternal life. Will you give your life to him? Will you hark to this message? Will you listen to what God is saying? If you're online and, and you're wondering how can I do this online, well, if, just admit that you're a sinner, saying, God, I can't save myself. And I do believe that Jesus died for me 2,000 years ago. He died, was buried, and the third day he arose. And I confess, I confess my sins. I confess everything. I give you everything. Will you come into my life? And if you want to do that, just text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call. But if you're here this morning and you'd like to make this decision, you can do so. The minister will be at the front. Just come to the front and say, I need to give my life to Christ today. Or maybe you need to join this church. Maybe you've never been baptized. You realize, I need to follow it with baptism. Whatever God is leading you, will you listen? Will you hark to what God is saying and follow him? Would you stand and bow your heads? Heavenly Father, it's so easy in the Christmas season to, to think about everything but Christ. But Christ is the reason for the season. And Father, it's easy to think just about the baby without realizing that baby is God, the incarnation. And Jesus came for us to give us that opportunity to spend eternity with you. And so, Father, my prayer is very simple. If there's anyone here today or listening online that has never given their life to you in a personal way, let them do so. Whatever fears they have, Father, whatever objections they may have, Father, I pray you just push them aside and let them come to you. Because, Father, I do know apart from Jesus Christ, we will never have peace in this world. And we'll never have peace in our heart. And so, Father, we ask you now to move us.
to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.